Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talk to Associate Professor of Integrative Biology at the University of Guelph, Shoshana Jacobs, and PhD student in Resource and Environmental Studies at Dalhousie University, Justine Amendolia. We bring together this epic combination of scholastic talents to talk about something that we deal with every day, but we don't really think about it. Our garbage. Specifically, our pandemic garbage. Have you ever stopped to think about all the waste generated in the last 30 months since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic? How many masks, gloves, wipes, syringes, and containers that we've all thrown away? Well, I have, but there's been a distinct lack of publicly available research and analysis about all this extra garbage we've created and what effect it's going to have on our environment. So the pandemic of plastic is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. So what happened to all those masks you've used over the last couple of years? Did they all end up in the garbage? How many did you lose or have fall out of your pocket? Even back in the earliest days of the pandemic, there were concerns about how much more waste was going to be created in the name of keeping people safe from COVID. The Solid Waste Association of North America said that there was a 20% increase in the amount of waste collected in U.S. cities between March and April 2020. And then in June of that year, researchers out of the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology noted that mandatory masking orders in Australia also needed a plan to deal with all the extra waste it would end up creating. The issue of massive increases to plastic waste produced a lot of interesting initiatives to reuse all that PPE. Locally, you had the University of Waterloo looking at using disinfectant and UV light to reuse plastic gloves, while the U of G looked at using ozone to essentially dry clean previously used hospital gowns. These initiatives never seemed to come to fruition on a personal or commercial level, but the problems persisted. And another University of Guelph researcher was part of a team keeping an eye on it. Jacobs and Amendolia co-wrote a study in the journal Environmental Pollution about how, in the course of five weeks in spring 2020, they found 1,300 pieces of discarded PPE across an area in Toronto about the equivalent size of 50 football fields, and that included masks, gloves, and disinfectant wipes. At that rate, over 14,000 pieces of unrecyclable plastic PPE waste were just thrown away on the ground in this one small area after less than a year of a global pandemic. So this is a real problem, right? Why aren't we talking about it more? Shoshana Jacobs and Justine Amendolia are going to make that case on this edition of the Guelph Politicast, and they will talk about the findings of their research how much plastic waste created during the pandemic there might be out there, and how the pandemic has affected the overall efforts to reduce plastic waste. We will also talk about the effects of PPE waste on animal populations, the longer-term effects of plastic waste on animals and humans, and how we can balance public health protection and protecting the environment from PPE pollution. And finally, we will discuss what governments need to do to fight this larger plastic pollution problem, what you can do at home to dispose of your PPE properly, and where Jacobs and Amendolia are taking their research next, hopefully somewhere with fewer peas. So I caught up with Shoshana Jacobs and Justine Amendolia earlier this week via Zoom. 
Okay, so I'm being joined today by Shoshana Jacobs. Hello, Shoshana. Hello. And I'm also being joined by Justine Amendolia. Hello, Justine. Hello. In the interest of not showing uh, deference or favoritism to the local educational institution, I'll throw this one to you first, Justine. Um, in, in terms of like where we were with plastic pollution, uh, before the pandemic and in, you know, in 2019, there was a lot kind of large spread awareness. And I think one of the reasons I was really excited to do this podcast is because I've noted the explosion in litter and waste. And I mean, you, you, you know, for the longest time when you're getting food, you're getting takeout, it, like everything would be wrapped in its own bag and put in a bigger bag. It just seems like whatever progress and this is anecdotal, so I, I hope you can lend some evidence-based thinking to this, but it just seemed like any progress we were making on waste, especially plastic waste, went out the window with the pandemic. Right, and that's it's really an excellent observation. I think that before the pandemic, um, the consciousness within the public with using single-use plastics, so like you said, takeout containers and and different um, forms of plastic for bulk buying groceries and things like that, was very much on the the public mind. And then as soon as we hit the pandemic, oh my gosh, you know, you can catch a virus through touching surfaces. What? So basically, this really triggered, like you said, a, a huge mass consumption in the form of single-use plastics and, and different items that we use and, and throw out. But in terms of the progress that we're making as a society to move away from, you know, the heavy use plastic model, um, it's not all doom and despair. Actually, there are quite a number of policies that are underway, uh, both nationally and internationally, to kind of get us off plastic slowly but surely. Um, in Canada, actually, they're introducing a single-use plastics ban, mm -hmm. which will take six items uh, by uh, December of 2020. Two, it's uh, beginning to be implemented. And then slowly, uh, we're going to start to see things like straws and um, six six ring uh, holders for, for beers, for example, um, you know, taken off grocery shelves. So it's true, you know, a lot of people have reverted to plastics, but then there's also larger movements uh, to try to get away from it again. But yeah, it's almost like a roller coaster in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shoshana, uh the, the article that uh, kind of piqued my interest in the conversation focused a lot on masks, but I, th I think a lot of us appreciate that's probably not the extent of the, the waste that's been created by the pandemic. So aside from masks, what kind of, you know, plastic problems are, are sort of coming out of pandemic use? You know, what kind of things are we talking about other than just the masks? There were some interesting trends that we noticed with respect to the types of uh, pandemic-related waste that uh, we were seeing on the streets. And so, for example, at the beginning of the pandemic, when it wasn't clear exactly how long the virus could live on a surface, we were seeing a lot more gloves uh, and hand wipes. Um, that kind of petered down a little bit and masks became the dominant form of waste that we were seeing um, in our communities as well as within um, uh, protected or natural habitats. Um, and so um, if there are any other announcements or sort of future diseases of concern, uh, the way that people respond is directly to the perceived threat or points of contact. And so we'll be able to see these changes over time, depending upon the announcements that are made um, by scientists and politicians. I'm going to ask a follow up then. Uh, 
you were you're kind of referencing that the, the, the pandemic and, and advice changed us as we sort of understood the virus more. And one of those things I'm thinking of is uh, for the, the first year of the pandemic, I wore a cloth mask. I had a, a, like a pile of cloth masks that I would wash and reuse. And then the advice came out that like, those are okay, but having like a medical grade mask and N95 masks were better. And of course, that is a more disposable option. So has, as we've sort of seen, like maybe the gloves and the, the hand sanitizer and the handy wipes sort of go down, has that, was that like matched by a commensurate rise in the number of masks as garbage? Exactly. So we were seeing lots more uh, disposable masks that were coming in, especially when the idea of the cloth masks not being as effective as we thought they once were. Um, also, you know, reflecting changes, not only in our understanding of the virus, but also in the virus itself, right, and the way that it is transmitted. Um, so both of those competing pressures have changed um, the types of masks that were being used and then subsequently the types of masks that were making their ways into uh, natural systems or through the waste management disposal stream. Um, so the N95s, though they many of them are reusable multiple times, um, they're, they're rated by the number of total hours that they are effective. And so oftentimes you're not wearing one for the entire day. You may be able to wear them for a couple of days. Um, uh, people were still disposing of them, of course, uh, in a way um, that uh, was at the beginning of the pandemic when they weren't sure how to do it properly. Mm -hmm. Just so, because we, we kind of live in this era, um, your concerns about the plastic, the, the mask, the waste around the mask is not an excuse around not wearing these masks, just to be clear. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm getting, I'm seeing head nods. Just, just to be very clear. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, so Justine, uh, any estimates um, about like just how many masks are out there floating around in the, the I guess the, the waste ether the the you know whether it's like lying on the ground somewhere or going to a landfill you know how many masks are we talking about totally and that's a that's a million dollar question uh mm -hmm. just because really nobody's um taken the time to answer this one there's been a handful of estimates that have kind of um bled out through the scientific literature throughout the pandemic so for example um early on in the pandemic it was estimated that every month around the world, you know, in 2020, we were using, it was 129 billion um, gloves or sorry, face masks. And uh, I think it was uh, six, 69 billion glo gloves. So it was in the billions of individual types of, of uh, waste. And really when you look at the garbage, like the garbage um, fields, it's estimated that every time you use like single use plastics in some degree, 2% of whatever you're using will leak out of the waste stream and that will end up in the environment. So by that like estimate, we're talking billions and billions of items floating around in the environment, which don't make up the majority of the types of items that we're using, like masks, gloves, wipes, but it's still a significant chunk. And what was really interesting, I think, um, and this speaks volumes about where our understanding was in the beginning of the pandemic and also now, is, is that when we started to see um, like, for example, my my colleague slash partner um, was walking back uh, from the library, I think it was early in March of 2020, and took the first shot of a face mask uh, from, from our neighborhood. And I think when Jackie put it on, on Twitter, 
um, it was it was it was interesting because some folks were met with, wow, this might be, you know, the start of something or, you know, this is just another phase in, in human consumption. And, you know, it's just going to be a small blurb kind of mm-hmm. deal. And of course, it ended up almost becoming uh, the masks became the new urban tumbleweed uh, where you could go down into any city and, and see masks just rolling around. Um, so, yeah, in terms of numbers, it's still very much we're, we're trying to figure that out, especially as the pandemic's changed forms so many times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, just to sort of as a matter of follow up, I, I did know about the 129 billion per month number, and I did some quick back of my notebook math, and that's mm-hmm. about 3.87 trillion masks in 30 months. And of course, mask wearing goes up and down, and you know, not mm-hmm. everybody's out there wearing a mask every day. And I, I, I guess that paints just how difficult it is to sort of put a number on okay. on it. Um, in terms of, oh, sorry, oh, go ahead. Sorry, if I may, it doesn't yeah. even the total plastic use as a whole. Think about all that. I mean, single use plastic, sure, that covers the disposable masks. We're not talking the amount of resources that have gone into reusable that are polyethylene, polypropylene based. Uh, you have the packaging from all those items uh, because they're all plastic wrapped. Then you have uh, things like the disinfectant wipes that are being handed out at every grocery store, even still. Uh, there's just a lot more background numbers and not even to speak about the infrastructure we've developed. So all the right. grocery stores that have the plastic screening in front, um, is that something that's here to stay or is that something that, you know, we're eventually going to have to dispose of? Um, so yeah, it's there, there's a huge uh, plastic cost, I think, with this pandemic and yeah, just trying to estimate it. <laughs> yeah, we'll go back to you in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a great point about the like the the, the plastic barriers and things, because at some point you got to imagine, you know, the grocery stores are going to and and I was at Home Depot the other day and they had one at their customer service yeah. desk as well. So they'll want to tear those down. But mm-hmm. to get to the, the follow up question, I want I wanted to ask you, Justine, the, even from what from uh, gathering from what I heard you say, even disposing the plastic and, and the, the masks properly does not guarantee that the plastic doesn't leak out into the environment. Like even like molecule by molecule plastic ends up in the environment. Totally. I mean, when you look at like landfill structures in, in general, uh, like how much they've changed historically, I mean, we're still very much, uh, you know, a couple centuries back with collecting our waste, uh, putting it in a giant pit and then covering it over and hoping that it'll go away. That's not even taking into account um, groundwater, how that might be impacted in aquifers and all that plastic leaching and those additives coming out. So it's a really, really complicated <laughs> problem, right? It goes more beyond the masks and gloves. Um, it kind of goes into like social systems of how do we deal with their waste and how can we improve the system? And Shoshana, I wanted to ask you to sort of talk about what this kind of looks like practically in, in sort of our own neighborhoods, because the, the article talked about um, going through a, a particular area of Toronto and collecting all the PPE waste that you found um, in, in terms of like what that looks like on a local level. Can you talk about that experience? I, I remember the first mask that I saw. Um, Justine remembers the first mask that she saw. It was on my front lawn. And when I looked at it, I, I it kind of, I, I got a little bit disrupted because I wanted to immediately remove it from my lawn, but I didn't know if I should touch it. And I think that that for all of us, we can remember the first bit of PPE uh, pandemic related litter that that we saw and how we felt about it. And and I think, you know, it's not really a littering problem that we have. It's a it's a pandemic related 
PPE disposal problem that we have, because otherwise, if we if we were having a littering problem, we would see all sorts of things in our parks and our public spaces, right, or on our front lawns. Um, so it's it what it looks like is a whole bunch of face masks blowing in the wind and getting caught in fences and tangled around wildlife. Um, and this is something that um, even within the context of this large scale, hopefully blip in single use plastic use across the world, um, the littering and the direct release into the environment is something that we can control. We can manage that um, and still be safe and healthy. So, um, you know, what it looks like is making sure that these things are properly disposed of, um, that loops and things like this are cut, that they make it into the waste management stream that's appropriate, um, and that they get disposed of where leakage into the environment is minimized. Mm-hmm. I guess this is kind of, you know, speaks to a kind of a systemic issue that, you know, litter happens, um, it, you know, before the pandemic, after the pandemic, you know, for decades, you know, being a kid in school, I remember don't litter campaigns and putting your trash in the garbage. Um, is this part, I, I guess, is there an issue? And this is to follow up for you, Shoshana, that there is a, this is kind of an ongoing thing, making sure people handle their waste properly, or is there a specific um, kind of in terms of like all this extra pandemic waste directly? Like it's, it's kind of like a, a new problem while also being an old problem. I agree that waste management has always been a, a challenge. Um, the campaigns associated with getting people to sort their garbage though have been extremely successful. People are generally good at sorting their garbage. We are really bad at doing good things with that sorting effort, mm. right? So not all of our plastic actually gets recycled. Or not all of our glass gets reused. And it's it's an alarming percentage that doesn't. But I don't think that the problem really is about human behavior. I think if if in this case, in the context of waste, um, you know, these education campaigns and, and this type of sorting information can be very effective. What didn't happen was anything specific to PPE at the beginning of the pandemic. We didn't tell people how specifically they can dispose of their masks. People were were cautious about touching unknown surfaces, about approaching waste bins. They were, you know, totally reasonably concerned, especially when we didn't know as much as we do now. Um, but messaging from the municipalities and from um, government agencies and from the province, I think would have gone a long way, given the fact that we know that people do sort their garbage effectively. Right. Um, it's it's kind of on, as you said, it's on the sorting side where we sort of enter um, difficulties. Uh, Justine, would you mind talking about some of the impacts on animals, like specifically what is, you know, a, a mask, a surgical mask lying on the ground somewhere? Uh, you know, you you posted in the article this cartoon of uh, rats uh, collecting masks for hammock, which is fun. It's funny. It's a cute thought. Um, but I mean, these, these are really dangerous obstacles for for our animals, as you described. 
Yeah, I know for sure. And I have to give uh, Shoshana the credit for finding that cartoon. I think that that came out early in, in our discussions about the implications with wildlife before we were even talking about it. Um, I think we were both keeping the pulse check online to see what kind of images were coming out from around the world through social media. But yeah, I mean, like like most other plastics uh, with elastics and strings and, and loops, um, masks are almost the perfect booby trap for so many different species. I mean, you have two optimal elastics that are attached to a bigger piece, um, and they're basically prime real estate for an animal to get their foot stuck in it or their 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 claws or their wings. So yeah, unfortunately, masks kind of feed into that narrative that you know fishing gear, for example, has taken for state for decades mm. where. You know, it's perfect for, for entangling animals. And we've seen the same narrative play out with uh, PPE from the pandemic. And what was really interesting, I think, about this phenomenon in, in particular was, you know, with plastics, people were just kind of having the conversation of, you know, how they could cut down on plastics and whatnot. And then cue the pandemic. We have a surplus of it. Now we have a new type. And this, in essence, you know, had plastics were on people's minds. So the like the ability for people to cite um, animals getting tangled up in plastics was very much on the radar. And we did see that almost immediately after the uh, WHO announced the pandemic. Uh, the first sighting of a bird hanging strangled from a face mask uh, was sighted in Windsor, Ontario, and that was done only in April of 2020. So just like basically a month after. Um, but it was really interesting because that event in a way kind of sparked other people posting what they saw out in their backyard. So we have a really, really well-documented um, category of waste basically wreaking havoc on wildlife around the world. As, as well-documented as it is though, uh, they're, they're it's one of those things where we don't kind of understand the full extent extent because a, a bird could die in the middle of the woods and never be found discovered for sure. And even within like the sightings that we found just to kind of paint a picture of what Shoshana and our colleagues uh, were up to with the study was we basically, because we couldn't leave our homes, a lot of us were stuck, you know, under lockdown, like everyone else, mm -hmm. uh, we turned to social media and digital platforms. And we basically just spent a lot of time searching keywords uh, to see what people were posting online. And um, the first study that did something similar to us, you know, found 28 cases, including cats and dogs, domestic animals, things like that. When we did it, um, we found 114 cases of just wildlife. And it was really interesting uh, just to see the global diversity of this. Uh, we reported 23 different countries. And this period, really, like we were only searching in English uh, for terms. And still, we were able to hit quite a few countries around the world. So it was a quite a considerable number just in the span of, you know, masks being introduced and in, from 2020 to 2021. And I imagine, again, on, a, on the microscopic level, uh, there, there, again, not appreciating we don't kind of understand the full impact yet. Um, we, we, all of us human beings do absorb plastic, you know, it's in the water, it's in the ground, it gets in the, the food. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th there, there are other, there are other kinds of exposure other than just seeing a bird with a mask around its feet or whatever. Totally. I mean, even with with regards to plastics breaking down into really tiny pieces, I mean, a study just came out that showed, um, I think it was like 80% of mothers breastfeeding and the sample size that was taken out of Italy were actually passing on microplastics from their breast milk to their infants. Um, so it's, it's quite pervasive. And I mean, it's very much in our bodies at this point. Um, as biologists and ecologists, as 
for Shoshana and I, I mean, obviously like looking at the animal side is, is also very interesting because it's, it's more or less a telltale of what's to come for us in, in many ways. And I think with this study, it was especially alarming just seeing the capability of, you know, the harm that plastic can cause when it's so big, let alone uh, when it breaks down. So Shoshana, I, I like to uh, be solutions based whenever possible. So, um, you know, appreciating we're 30 some odd months into the pandemic. Uh, we're, we're trying to get back on track. As, as Justine said, we do have those new federal regs about some specific single use plastics. But, you know, we're going into, you know, if uh, the early indicators from South America are an indication, probably a rough COVID season this fall and winter, a rough flu season, people are going to be putting those masks on again. Uh, well, hopefully. Um, so, um, I, I mean, how do we go from here? How do we, how do we, I, I guess, have a better waste system going forward with all this pandemic waste we're creating? I think we do have to take a, a systems approach to addressing this and other issues related to plastics, right? The, there isn't going to be one thing that we can do uh, or one place that we can focus. So obviously, at the very beginning, we need to reduce our, reduce our demand on these pervasive, persisting plastics. Um, then if we can't reduce demand because health and safety are an issue, uh, we can reuse things for as long as possible. So we can increase the longevity of these things such that they remain valuable for longer periods of time or useful for periods of time. Once we, if we can't do that, or in addition to that, the other things we can do is we can, we can teach people how to dispose of these things properly to make sure that we reduce leakage into the environment as much as possible. And then if they do get into the environment, we need to, uh, you know, create effective cleaning programs so that we recover as much of it as possible. And if we kind of go through that whole cycle um, and we don't have to do it just with PPE, this is kind of a general thing related to a waste that's going into the environment that we don't like, or that isn't good, um, then we should be able to have a more effective effect at the end. Um, just by focusing on one thing, just like with, with recycling, the story is we focused on the sorting, but we didn't do anything else, really. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not a good lesson learned, right? Um, mm -hmm. We're just sorting so that things then go into a general dump. So we have to take a systems approach and we have to balance out uh, the need for, uh, for people, especially those who are uh, equity deserving to have access to, to health and to safety. Um, while also making sure that the environment is impacted um, as little as possible. Is this one of those things where, granted, like COVID comes up, it's kind of an emergency and we respond accordingly. Right. But being almost three years into this now, mm -hmm. would it be helpful if maybe we started thinking intersection with, with some sort of intersectional approach where, you know, we have medical professionals who tell us the best way how to avoid a virus, but we also have people like you and Justine who understand the effect of plastic on the environment. And so should, this may be a no brainer, but it is, it's, <laughs> so to speak, but it, would, would this be better if we sort of had the people fighting the pandemic and people fighting the plastic crisis sort of in the same room. It's like, as they're proposing solutions, you having you point out the problems with those solutions. Well, Oh, sure. Sorry. So you <laughs> I, I would, I would say, yeah. And we, we don't, we, we want to make sure that people are healthy and 
and safe. Totally. That is the absolute priority. Mm -hmm. So what perhaps in this case, instead of being necessarily at the same table, um, brought in quickly to the solutions and then trying to mit mitigate the effects of those solutions. So I do feel like maybe not at the same table, but maybe we could have been in the next room, right? right? Where this is what we're going to do. Can you advise us on what might happen as a result and how we can minimize the effects? Okay. Just, Justine? Yeah, that's such a wonderful answer. Follow up with it. Um, I, I agree. Like with crises, you have to handle them the best way for society, and you know, obviously, making sure the virus was contained uh, was necessary through plastic use. So you can just to reiterate Shoshana's uh, statement and support it. Um, but one thing that was really interesting was with our first paper when we were tracking waste around Toronto, and in particular, one of our um, survey sites was actually around the University Avenue district, uh, the hospital district, where there's over 14 facilities. It was very interesting, I have to say, going from re researching in very remote places in my career as an environmental scientist to suddenly being literally in the hot spot of COVID in our country, uh, picking up discarded waste. Um, and yeah, just being able to have chats with medical professionals uh, about this, this experience, so many of them are privy to the fact that, you know, like they, they would see masks on the side of the road, but they didn't understand the full extent. They, by no means did they realize that, you know, it was almost one of the, one of the, um, the highest density sort or sites that we surveyed, uh, in terms of like litter distribution and accumulation. So I think that if we involved folks early on, in discussions and just like letting them know our results, which we, we did to the best of our abilities, uh, they could implement more sustainable, um, at least collection bases out of the hospitals. Um, you know, it was very predictable to kind of uh, monitor like human behavior too, where it's like you come out of the, the hospital, you have a mask on, you're about to get in your car. Oh, it falls. Okay. You're not going to pick it up. It's contaminated. You'll leave it by itself. Um, right. But we started to see the implementation of uh, garbage cans actually around those areas. And that was, um, you know, I, not in part due to our work, but I think we were raising a lot of noise about it. Um, and it also being those really weird people picking up like Toronto. I imagine too, a lot of this is, you know, we've masks generally are, you know, kind of a nuisance. If you're wearing one inside, you're inside for eight hours. Like some of the, uh, these doctors, I imagine working long shifts, you know, to be outside and to finally be able to take the mask off is kind of a, <laughs> kind of a release mechanism, just rip it right off, maybe. Uh, is, is that something to ask a serious question? I didn't mean to throw a fly ball and have everybody scramble to get one, but to, uh, for, to, to, to what you just said, Justine, is is that kind of uh, a particular issue that we sort of see the, the mask pollution and, and, and waste problem? Is It sort of sticks out all the more if it's, if you're around like a, a like a health setting, like a hospital. Cause I know that going into the public health office here in Guelph, you know, you couldn't wear, you know, you could walk in wearing your cloth mask, but they would immediately hand you one of those surgical masks. So uh, depending on where you lived, maybe the problem is better or worse. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I don't think it's restricted to just healthcare settings. I mean, in our, our first survey and as we continued to do this for a year and a half afterwards, uh, we found that supermarkets were actually kind of the hotspots for, mm. for garbage, especially with parking lots. Uh, you know, a lot of consumers after being in Costco or, uh, you know, the big box plazas per se, uh, masks were kind of a secondary thought, especially with how the garbage cans were designed. So going on Shoshana's uh, point before about us being prepared for this, um, a lot of uh, 
the waste collection spots involved like tactile touch where you have to push the lid and then stick your garbage in. Um, so unfortunately, a lot of places aren't prepared to get like a, an influx of garbage uh, just from a design standpoint. So yeah, in terms of, you know, hotspots, uh, grocery stores, healthcare centers, to some degree, I mean, they're giving out masks. Of course, there's gonna the litter have to gonna have to go somewhere. And just even in terms of how often these garbage cans were emptied, um, that goes in a logistical standpoint as well, and how accessible they are to wildlife. Uh, that was another thing where you would see squirrels oftentimes jump out of the garbage cans, um, you know, looking for food, understandably, but then just being like in super close proximity to used masks. Um, so yeah, yeah, the the outside garbage cans aren't always necessarily uh, the places where there's the, the best sort of streaming of, of the different types of waste. Shoshana, I want to ask you about sort of the, the longer terms uh, effects of, of what you're kind of discovering here is, you know, it, anything in particular that seems alarming um, maybe alarming is not the right word, but or, or concerning as, as about this in terms of like, maybe, um ruining habits we we developed for for years in terms of how we treat our waste you know the the pandemic sort of um on a lot of variety different things sort of <laughs> upset the system and and you know totally changed the way we lived our lives in a number of ways so is are, are we essentially maybe looking at a future where we have to re- sort of relearn these these um behaviors that uh, we were picking up in 2019 that that is a really good question that I'm not sure I have an answer to what I what I can say is that you know we have as a you know as a country as a province and as a municipality especially um, Guelph the city of Guelph we have um, demonstrated a concern for the proper disposal of waste Um, we tend to focus on recycling though you know we've we've learned that we need to also or mostly focus on reducing Um, and I don't think that these are things that are going to go away that quickly I mean these values and these principles have made it into the Ontario curriculum and other provincial curricula as well, right? So my my children are telling me about reducing and reusing and recycling. Um, so I think I think the, the the pandemic has an opportunity to disrupt some of those things, but um, hopefully we will move beyond it. We are not there yet, <laughs> but hopefully we will move, move beyond it in a way that doesn't affect a generation of potential reducers. Um, uh, and, and I'm hopeful. So, so all of those support systems are in place. They are sustainable. Uh, they are not going to go away anytime super soon. Um, so my hope is that um, by, by doing this work, we're able to highlight this as an important need to support uh, waste managers in coming up with solutions, just like cigarette butt disposal has its own sort of way of disposing. And and thankfully those aren't nearly as uh, as big a concern as they used to be. Um, Mm. But we can think creatively or just as creatively as we did about that uh, when we think about PPE, especially if the pandemic continues for way longer than all of us would like, um, we're going to have to have some longer conversations about how to do it correctly. 
And for just uh, to you, Justine, for people who are, you know, at home listening to this and maybe thinking about all the masks they've thrown away and if they if they did the right thing and, and how to dispose of them, I guess for people living their lives every day, just like what's the best advice to make sure that they're they're handling their waste responsibly? Yeah, no, I think that's that's a great question. I think as we're, we're going through the pandemic, obviously, we still need to use masks um, as much as possible. And, you know, just making sure that you think about the the end of life uh, for that mask and you kind of look at it like a whole life cycle. It's it's born somewhere. It's brought to you. You find it in the grocery store. Oh, my gosh, you, you have this item now. Um, after you go through the motions, you think about what's going to happen to that mask after I, I, I don't need it anymore. And I think bringing home items that are potentially hazardous to wildlife, uh, things like masks or masks are incredibly important because in that way, you know how you secure your garbage, you know, that you can put it in your garbage can at home, seal the bag, and then it's off to the the landfill and, and picked up by the appropriate managers. I think leaving your masks in garbage cans that are open face where, you know, wildlife can easily sneak in uh, within Ontario where we're blessed with so much uh, wildlife. I mean, raccoons, squirrels, skunks, you name it. Um, they have a way of getting into to waste mat or to, to waste bins. So yeah, just thinking about how secure that that waste is, I think is very, very important. And also just yeah, being cognizant that like your mask, I mean, it's next to your face uh, for hours on end. It's gonna smell like food at some point or another. So it's mm-hmm. gonna be really tasty for for animals. And actually, just to add, a lot of cats and dogs have been found throughout the pandemic eating these masks because they think it's a they think it's a source of of food. So yeah, just being understanding the risks of using masks and real or not of using them, but how their uh, their end of life might look like, I think, is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, Shoshan, I'll give you the last word. Uh, where does the research go from here? Where what are you and Justine going to be working on next with your teams? Oh goodness, we have so many questions, um, <laughs> and and I think I mean the the. The hallmark of a good research paper is when it opens up multiple directions, right? So um, I'm interested in how we might be able to uh, support people in learning better and more about how to dispose of things that they're cautious about or concerned about. So there's a whole human behavior side that I think we need to continue. Um, And of course, there's all of the work related to the environmental impact, right? At this stage, these masks are large, they're visible, we can take photos of them and post them on social media. But how do they break down over time? Where do they go? How do they circulate? Um, When do we lose track of them? And when do they reappear um, in in our systems? And I think that's going to be, unfortunately, a whole bunch of work for all of us uh, over the next several decades. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't envy that work because as we sort of explored here, this is, uh, I mean, th- this is kind of essential research that I don't really think we, any of us think about when we, we go outside and we put our masks on as we go indoors and, you know, at least those of us who still do walk around masked as, as we're going indoors, which as we said, we, we still encourage everyone to do, um, regardless how they feel about, um, their waste consumption efforts. But uh, Shoshana Jacobs and Justine Amendolia, I thank you for your knowledge and expertise and sharing it with us today. It's very much appreciated. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. And once again, that was Shoshana Jacobs and Justine Amendolia. As you heard, the work continues. 
for them. Their research continues, and you can read the piece that they co-authored if you're looking for some place to start. It is called The PPE Used Throughout the COVID-19 Pandemic is Getting Tangled Up in Wildlife, and that piece is at theconversation.com. You can also follow them on social media. You can find Shoshana Jacobs at S-H-O-S-H-A-N-A-H-J-A-C-O-B-S on Twitter. And you can also find Justine Amendolia on Twitter at J-U-S-T-I-N-E-A-M-M-E-N-D-O number one. And speaking of number ones, that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram or send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you would like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can certainly get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time.